Hello everybody and welcome back to the Catacomb Synod Practicals series, a subsection, if you will, of the Catacomb Basics. We are getting into the nitty-gritty how-to of how to run things. How do you deliver a message? That was last week's topic. This week we are getting into Bible studies. And this is incredibly important because we're Bible people. I've been criticized before for not being super duper into Peeper and Loy and all the other theologians out there. I couldn't recite all the sentences in various dogmatics textbooks, but I'm a Bible guy. I have not read all of the examination of the Council of Trent by the sainted Dr. Martin Chemnitz. I've read some of it, but there is a sense where... All of this stuff, all of your systematic theology, all of your dogmatics, all of your confessions are completely worthless if you don't know your Bible, if you don't know how to read your Bible, if you aren't in the Word more than you are in confessional documents or theological statements, what are you doing with your life? The vast majority of things we will study in the Catacomb Synod have to do with the Bible. Full stop. We might do a series on apologetics. We might do a series on dogmatics and why, yes, it is important to have the 1580 Book of Concord as something we subscribe to. Why it is important to have a copy of Mueller's Christian Dogmatics lying around. It's good to have these things, but we have to be a back to the Bible movement. There are all sorts of men out there that could make your head spin with their theological acumen, their knowledge of history, their councils, their popes, their canons, etc. and so forth. And all of these guys are going to use that to get you to believe in very unbiblical things. They are not consistent with sola scriptura and we condemn that wholeheartedly. So we here in the Catacomb Synod run regular Bible study. We are Bible people and everything comes back to the word of God because God gave us his word. So that said, how do you run a Bible study for your home congregation? Let's say you're a deacon and a lay leader and you have people that need the word. Maybe you've heard my initial recording on how to run a Bible study, sure, but you want to see that in action and you want a practical guide for it. Well, all right, let's do that today. First and foremost, there are a couple sine qua nons that inform us, and the very first one that I want to bring up is knowledge of the material. I put out the PDFs for the Sunday School materials every single Friday, if we have Sunday School that week. If there's a holiday or a feast day or something like that, chances are I'll skip it so people can go back to celebrating. You know, Christmas, Easter, Reformation Day, things like that. But the idea is, every Friday, if you are running a house church, you should be on the lookout for these materials to be published so you can download it, print it out, and read through it for your personal benefit first. 
You see, everything in the Bible study PDFs is oriented to the church leadership, to the lay leaders and deacons. Namely, because if I designed something with everybody in the congregation in mind, I am missing out on how they learn. There's no guarantee that the materials I produce are going to be beneficial. A good example of this is your fill-in-the-blanks or your note sheets with various questions that I would ask people. If I did that and you print it out, I guarantee you there's going to be, most of the time, paper being wasted. Having been a pastor of parish congregations before, we tried the fill-in-the-blanks, we tried the note sheets with the questions that you fill out and all that stuff, and all that really amounts to is a lot of paper just going in the trash, going in the recycling bin. Maybe three or four people actually take that stuff home and put it in a folder for when they're ready to re-study a book of the Bible. Again, for the most part, it just doesn't get used. But if you have a house congregation that does want that, if they do want to be taking notes, writing stuff down, filling in blanks, then it's easy for you to produce them. As regards the PDFs of the studies themselves, they have to be oriented to you. Especially because you might get questions that I am hoping to preempt. For instance, I have the James study number 14 on James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18 here. And looking at verses 14 and 15, you'll notice that I bring up some stuff that does touch on church history. So the verses say, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Let's say you start to read that, or you have somebody read that in Bible study. And somebody asks you the question, well, wait a second. Do we do the whole anointing with oil thing whenever somebody has a cold or something? Or is that for if somebody's dying and he's got a call for the elders of the church, but what does that mean? And it seems to me it says if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Well, is just putting some oil on a guy going to forgive him of his sins? While it wouldn't normally be appropriate for just teaching the text, you can answer with, well, some denominations do see it as a sacrament. The Roman Catholic Church calls it extreme unction. So they'll have some priest come over with some oil and everything, and they'll pray over the guy, and they think that that is something effective. But we don't hold to that because, you see, the operative word here is the prayer of faith saving the one who is sick. It's the faith and the prayer of faith, which is salvific here, not necessarily the oil or the presence of the elders. It's not like baptism or communion, where God promises and commands these things, which gives us a sacrament. You can get into that with a preempted answer that I've provided on the PDF. But if it doesn't come up, people are going to ask, well, why did the deacon bring up the Roman Catholic Church? <laughs> now, you might have a congregation that wants to hear about these things. They are solid and mature in their faith, so they would expect you 
to start talking about extreme unction and why the Lutheran Church doesn't hold it to be a sacrament, but does hold it to be a good and beneficial rite to carry out. These same people might also be very confessionally inclined, which is a good thing. So occasionally you'll see me bring up things from the Augsburg Confession or the Small Called Articles in order to clarify some things. If you just print out and read this stuff out for a Bible study on Sunday morning, here's what's going to happen. You go to something like the James study and you see my commentary on James 5.16a, which says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And everybody's nodding along as they hear that. They start to nod along when they hear healing is not just physical. The conscience may also be healed as absolution is pronounced upon he who confesses. All right, all right, everybody's kind of nodding. And then they hear he who confesses his sins to a fellow believer hears the words of absolution in response is participating in a sacrament. Oh my goodness. Somebody might raise their eyebrow and go, wait a second, uh, dear deacon or dear lay leader, that's your job. You're the one hearing the confession of sins and pronouncing absolution on Sunday morning, and you're here telling me that the laity has the power to forgive sins? Wait a minute. I've read from the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, and it says that James 5.16 is different or a different context than the confession that's made to priests. So excuse me for a moment here while I contradict you. You might encounter that if your congregation is full of mature believers who love to read beneficial things like the confessions. Great. I have preempted that with an explanation of what I am getting at. That Wait a second. James 5.16 says that if you're confessing your sins to one another and praying for one another, you're healed. And 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9 just says, if we confess our sins, not if we confess our sins specifically to a priest, following the standard good order and praxis of the church of having a priest be the normative member to hear confession. No, this is something that belongs to all laity without forsaking the normal and good ordered purpose of the pastorate and the deacons. All well and good. I bring all of that up to make sure I've dotted my I's, crossed my T's, and in case you have somebody that wants to get deeper, or is already deeper, and has some questions, you can answer them. Now, if you have a congregation that's full of newer believers, or people who really just want to stick to the text, that's A-OK. -okay. It'll be good for you as a lay leader or a deacon to understand these matters, especially in case it ever comes up in the future. So I beg you, if you are leading a house church, please download everything on Friday, every Friday. Set aside some time to look over it, to understand it, and also get in contact with me in case I screwed something up. I'm not the Pope. I'm not infallible. I need people to hold me accountable in case I mess up something in doctrine. If I didn't dot my I's or cross my T's well enough. But ultimately, the point is, you gotta know it before you pass it along to the people in your church.
Now the second sine qua non is engagement or interaction of the group. If you have a Bible study and nobody feels like being there, you're in trouble. If you have a Bible study and nobody wants to answer the questions you give them, nobody wants to talk about anything, half of them are on the down low just chewing the fat and whispering one to another, yeah, you don't have a Bible study. So it's good to have engagement and interaction. If you're running a Bible study, it is incumbent on you to measure and gauge whether they are understanding the text. The first thing you want to do to make sure that people have that correct mindset is to do something, anything, to help them understand it is Bible time now. Let's focus. So last night with my deacons, we were workshopping some of the things they do to help out with this. One example is utilizing matins or the order of family devotion to get people in the same mindset as church. If you have a bit of liturgy to say, you know, all right, let's do the invocation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, it's just like church. All right, let's get ready for it. But instead of a message, a meditation, or a sermon, or something like that, we're doing Bible study. And instead of reading a psalm for a devotion, we're reading the pericope a few times over. People feel more ready to focus when they feel like they're in the middle of a church service, just a more interactive one. That helps. Another one is to have different people read out loud. If somebody is reading the scriptures out loud and it's not just you, that's a positive thing. It gets people paying attention to where they're supposed to be reading. Helps it to stick in their mind, too, because they're reading Bible. Another deacon talked about how he's gotten a lot of success without having to do the matin service or any liturgy to put people in the mindset. He starts with just asking people, Hey, how's everybody doing today? How was your week? They start answering the questions, and he goes, all right, awesome. So glad to hear it. Everybody ready to get started? Just doing that helped people to simmer down a little bit and get ready for Bible time. Now, to get that engagement to be effective, it is good for the deacon to ask questions. And we're going to give you seven really easy questions to remember. Who, what, when, where, why. When we're reading a verse, who is saying it? What are they saying? When did they say it? Where did they say it? What's the context here so we can understand the passage a little bit more? And why is this verse in my Bible? Why is this passage in my Bible? What does St. James want us to understand in James chapter 5, verse 16? Well, confess your sins to one another. That's something we should do. And we should talk about that. Getting the who, what, when, where, why, and asking that to people. If they don't know, you can kind of nudge them until they understand. And you move on from there. If they can answer those questions successfully... It tells you that they have been absorbing what they are learning. And that is a fantastic thing to see. 
Now there's two other questions that I've brought up before. Typically these are hated on. Oh my goodness, do so many pastors and uh, well-meaning conservative Christians hate these questions. Just two. What does this passage mean to you? And the second, how does it make you feel? Those are incredibly important questions to ask because we also want to make sure that they have more than just head knowledge. Can they understand the text? Do they have the ability to see the plain meaning of Scripture? Yes, if we ask them, what does this text mean to you? Well, however they answer, if it's right, awesome, they're getting it. If it's wrong, well, okay, we need to fix that. We need to address that and say, well, where are you getting that idea? Regarding the feeling of it that they might be feeling, we want to understand whether or not law and gospel is doing its thing. If St. James tells me that prayer is a good work, you know, using James as an example, if he tells me that prayer is a good work before God and we need to be praying, it's a godly thing to say, wait a second, I don't know if I'm praying enough. I feel kind of guilty about it. Or if somebody says, hey, I feel really good because I've been praying for y'all all the time and I've been seeing prayers being answered. This is great. I love praying and I think we should all do it. How can we encourage each other to pray more? You see where they're at in their sanctification. You can see the word acting on the believers. And that has to start with asking, how does this make you feel? And this isn't me embracing enthusiasm. Their feelings are not determining doctrine. It's a litmus test for us. But I digress. I don't want to go down that rabbit trail further. Seven questions. Who, what, when, where, why? What does this passage or verse mean? And how does this passage or verse make you feel? Now, there might be some times where you have to run referee if we're doing interactive Bible study together. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people will bring up something that is completely unrelated to what the Bible passage is saying. Other times they'll have a question that comes out of left field. <laughs> oh boy, in my experience, has that been the case? There are times when they'll ask just a theological question that has nothing to do with anything. It just popped into their head or it's something that's been bugging them. I'm going to teach you a very, very simple thing to say in response. Ready? Can I get back to you on that? That's it. That's all you got to say. Can I get back to you on that? Could you email me? Uh, you know, here in this moment, let's keep the main thing the main thing but I'll make sure to email you or text you with an answer. Uh, we can get back to that topic later. Easy as pie. You don't have to be mad about it. Please don't get upset at somebody and say, how dare you interrupt my Bible study with something unrelated, rah, rah, rah. No, that's, that's silly. So, on a different note, what happens when you have to teach kids? Now, I fully confess, and I apologize to you guys, we have not been putting out children-oriented material at the VLP. I haven't been publishing children's sermons. We haven't been doing kids' Bible studies. I understand that they need this, 
very badly. Children need the Bible just as much as adults do. And we want our kids to grow up to be Bible people, to being praying and studying, all of that good stuff. But unfortunately, I haven't had the time or the good sense to do it. We're going to start changing that as we start up the first and second Peter Bible study this week. But for now, how do you help kids to understand? What I do for the Bible study PDFs is I present a passage that you can unify into a singular theme. So again, with the James study PDF open, James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18 is all about prayer. It's all about prayer. So if you have a 5-year-old and an 8-year-old and a 7-year-old in the room with you and it's time for Bible study with them, you can read the passage to them, sure. But talk about prayer. Talk about how, hey, uh, Billy, we have prayer because God wants to hear from us. What was it like when you prayed last time? Does your mom pray for you? Hey, you know, prayer makes God happy when we're doing it. All sorts of stuff like that can get them engaged in it and understanding what St. James wants everybody to really absorb, which is we should be praying for one another. One of my deacons who's run like vacation Bible school and stuff for kids helped out with a lot of children's Bible studies. He said, you know, it's good to let them get their wiggles out, let them play a quick game or something like that. But they're not going to be interested in doing a liturgical matin-style service unless they're with their parents. If it's just you and your kids one Sunday, it's good to let them get the wiggles out, play a little bit of a game, and then just say the Lord's Prayer together. And that helps these kids focus a lot. Now, teaching kids does take a lot more patience, but it's good once you can get them to understand that main central message from the pericope. It's something really powerful to see. And that's something you want them to focus on. Are they going to get distracted? Yeah. Of course, there will be times, like I said, where you ask them a question. So, do you like praying to God? And they respond with, well, I like Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> it just happens. you got to be patient with it. But if at the end of that Bible study session with them, you're pretty confident that they understood the main thing, then you have confidence they're going to carry that with them over time. It'll be good for them. Now, last thing here. Occasionally, you'll open up that PDF that I publish on Friday. You'll look it over and you'll go, what on earth is this guy doing? What am I looking at, VLP director? Because I've put up a chart or something there that looks like doom confetti. I've highlighted half of a verse. I put it up there next to a different half of a different verse and they're all highlighted with different colors and there's tables and charts and it looks like a mess. What on earth am I doing? I did this last week for the James Overview study. What I'm doing there is showing my work. If you have to do an overview or if you have to take a complex topic and boil it down, well, you have to collect the relevant verses in that book of the Bible and show the cohesive message that the author is giving. St. Peter, 
Malachi, Habakkuk, all of the writers of scripture were not intending to write something with an Aristotelian categorical flowchart in mind. The closest you get to that is the writings of St. Paul. This isn't to say that it's primitive writing in scripture. To the contrary, I believe that every single scriptural writer is more intelligent than us. This is why we have to work so hard to understand them. But in order to take a complex thing and demonstrate what it is more simply, so we understand the major message, the themes, the motifs, etc., in the passage or the book that we're reading, sometimes I got to present you guys with some doom confetti, a lot of charts, a lot of highlighting, things like that. And I will do my best to include keys for understanding for things that are color-coded. And then I'll take what's colored a certain way, bring it back to a different section, and summarize everything. It's also your chance to check my work. If I'm going to be following the discipline of biblical theology in order to do a proper Bible study, if I'm doing synchronic and diachronic ways of tracking what the verses are saying, you can see whether or not I missed something. Please be a student of the word because that means that you can back me up in case I mess up. Really important stuff to keep in mind. With that said, if there are any questions, if there's ever a problem understanding it, please email me, very underscore Lutheran at tutanota.com. I am happy to help. And speaking about helping, we're going to get into more of the practical aspects, I believe, of the divine service and how to run the liturgy next week. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen. Amen.